You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, last time that we gathered, we looked at part one of Christ in the seven seas of history. We began with creation. We looked at the catastrophe or the corruption and then the catastrophe and then the confusion and now Christ. And this week's no different, but I want us to approach uh, and understand Christ from a different perspective. Last week, as we joined together, we looked at the deity of Christ. And this week, I want us to see not only the deity of Christ, but His sufficiency. Last week, we learned about who Christ is. We also learned what Christ does and what Christ has. We saw that He claimed to be God in flesh, deity. We saw that Jesus was the creator of all things. All things have been created by Him and for Him and through Him. But also we saw His ability to overcome the darkness with light. As we read, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You know, the beauty of that idea is that no matter how dark this world gets, Christ exterminates the darkness. He is always brighter than the most wicked generations to ever live. This week I want to keep right on again to discuss the sufficiency of Christ. I had... Jeff, read this morning from Romans because I want us to understand that Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Christ is absolutely able. Whatever you bring with you this morning, I, I want you to, if you leave right now, understand that Jesus Christ is sufficient. There are two types of people in the world today. Uh, that is sinners who are unsaved, and sinners that are saved. We all have one thing in common, and that, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And so we, we, we were able to deal with individuals a little easier when we understand that there is none righteous. Because the reality is, is we all got issues, some a little bit more public than others. But in the eyes of an all-sufficient God, in the eyes of an all-sovereign God, in the eyes of an omniscient God, He sees everything publicly. You can't hide your sin from Him. This message, I believe, will be for both groups of people. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection alone for their salvation. No confusion there. Absolute gospel clarity there. That this message will be to encourage you to know that Christ is sufficient. And for the unsaved that have never believed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection alone for salvation. Again, very clear gospel clarity that He is the only way to salvation, that you as well, by God's saving grace, He will give you eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus Christ alone is sufficient to save you. It's a message that is 
not a respecter of persons, but impacts both the saved and the unsaved. Today we will be looking in the book of Colossians, but before we dive into Colossians, our main text, chapter 2, 13 to 14, as you turn there, I want to bring the context, uh, just a brief overview of Colossians so that you kind of have an idea what's happening in this letter to the Colossian church. Here Paul is writing this letter, most likely from Rome in his first imprisonment. It seems that Epaphras was having trouble with false teachers in Colossae. We don't have that problem in our day, do we? I would venture to say this is a letter that would be equally important for the church today. The reality is these, this letter was written to refute some of those things. Paul wrote this letter to refute the Colossian heresy. And Paul is really up against two main things. First, he needs to deal with the person of Christ, who Jesus Christ is. And then also, the necessity for those in the church to understand the adequacy of Christ. The adequacy of Christ. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 16, we see that give this wonderful explanation of who Christ really was. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things were created, both heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of a, or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. Listen, chapter 1 describes Jesus Christ in His person that He is the firstborn of all creations and yet He is also the Creator of all things. Therefore, defining His deity. Chapter 2, He is the one that has triumphed. Chapter 3, He is the transformer in which He gives new life, taking that which is dead and making it alive. And in chapter 3, He is the Master. And we are His servants. We are His doulos, His slaves. Christ is sufficient. This morning, I want each of us to understand that reality. That Christ is indeed enough. Let us read together Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is a, an encouraging passage of Scripture. Because remember, there are two types of people. Sinners that are saved and sinners that are unsaved both benefit from the reality of the sufficiency of Christ. There are three things I want us to see and understand this morning from this portion of Scripture. First, we need to understand what we were. Our past. 
We need to secondly understand what we are, the, the present. And thirdly, we need to understand what He did. Here in verse 13a, the first half of this verse, Paul is saying to us that this is what we were before. He is revealing to us our old self. He says here in verse 13a, when you were dead, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. When you were, I believe is the key term here, because if we look back in chapter 1, we know that this is a letter written to the believers of the Colossian church. And if he is writing this to those who are in the church, which we know if we would be absolutely foolish to assume that everybody listening here this morning in the main sanctuary, in the overflow, and online are all believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the text of God's Word says that the wheat and the tare will be mixed together. You were. And here is a warning to both believer and to unbeliever. Shows past tense. He is addressing the believers, but in the same manner, He is addressing those that have yet to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to point out that before you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you, my friend, were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. You ever seen dead? Dead doesn't do anything doesn't react, it doesn't respond. The reality is, is you and I, pre-conversion, pre-gospel believing, you and I spiritually were dead. And that took place all the way in the garden. When God said, Adam and Eve, you may freely eat of this garden, but from this tree you shall not eat, for in the day you eat, you shall surely die. Now, did they die physically? Of course not. They died spiritually. And every single one of us are born to this world, Psalm 51.5 says, dead. Sinners. Separated from God. Paul is trying to point out that before you were a believer, you, my friend, were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Paul is trying to give us some understanding here. and So let us begin by looking at first the fact that we need to understand what we were. Let's define a couple of terms. First, transgressions and then uncircumcision of your flesh. The Greek word here translated into transgressions means trespass. It means sin. Paraptimo. It means fault. It really gives the idea of someone making a false step as to lose their footing. It's a violation of moral standards. Now I know there's a big confusion in our day of what moral standards are because we live in a day when the world calls that which is evil good and that which is good evil. But nevertheless, the only way you know what is evil and what is good because God has given us His Word and by His Word, He gets to define what the moral standard is. We don't. Now, we can try to confuse it, we can try to justify it, and we can try to twist it. But the reality is, is God is the one who defines what is moral and that which is unmoral or immoral. The LSB and the NSB translate this word transgressions. The ESV translates it trespasses. The King James Version translates it sins which I think all bring the idea together by which Paul is trying to get across. And that is saying that you were Gentiles without the law and therefore living in sin. We also need to understand the phrase uncircumcision of your flesh. 
This is a phrase designated ultimately to Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles were not circumcised in the flesh. Jews were. Jews' practice of circumcision was the sign that they were God's people bound to Him by covenant relationship. But for the Gentile, they were uncircumcised in the flesh. And I think Paul makes it really clear for us here. Flip over to Ephesians chapter um, 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. So that's what's so wonderful about Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. You say, why is it so important? Because he says, I'm sending you, Paul, to the Gentiles, which have no hope which have not the promise of the covenant relationship of the Old Testament. But I'm seeing you, Paul, to the Gentiles, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they can receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in me, he says. We have hope as non-Jew. What Paul is saying is that you were in violation to God's standards before Christ came onto the scene. You could not uphold the law because you did not have the law. And although God has written His law on the hearts of mankind, we, non-Jew, were not part of the covenant relationship with God because of our uncircumcision of our flesh. It's not some new teaching that Paul is teaching, by the way. He, he says here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and you were, what, dead in your transgressions and sins, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Listen, Paul is saying, this is what you were. Your heart was uncircumcised. Romans 2, flip over there, verse 25. Romans 2, verse 25 to 29. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man observes the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, will he not judge you who through the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, non is nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly in the circumcision that which is of the heart 
by the Spirit, not the letter of the law. And His praise is not from men, but from God. Listen, it's not enough to have the physical circumcision. No, 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 no. God wants us to understand the necessity for a circumcised heart. Flip over to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5 and 6a. And Yahweh, your God, will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart. Flip over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Thus says Yahweh, starting in verse 3, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. What's he he say here? In, In regards to repentance, circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and remove the foreskin of your heart. Men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Hmm. Listen, there is but one way to fix that which is wrong, and it is the sufficiency of Christ by which your heart is circumcised. It's changed. We too need that reminder of what we were before Christ. We need to sometimes reflect back on our past, especially when we're dealing with people in the present, because we sometimes get so holy and righteous and highly lofted in the way we think that we are some super righteous people and everybody else is just some Wretched sinner, but yet we forget just a few years ago. 2021 for me. No. That's certainly not true, but 2001, I came to Christ. And I remember who I was. I remember my wickedness. I remember the desires of my heart. Paul is wanting us to remember who we were dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Can I ask you a question? Has Christ made you alive today? Has Christ given you a surgical heart process by which He has made you new? If not, I want you to know He's sufficient to do so. I can't do it for you as much as I would love to. Your parents can't do it for you. Your wife, your husband can't do it for you. But listen, the reality is just, this is a thing of God, my friend. We were dead with our uncircumcised heart. And Paul gives a great picture of what life looked like as he described the old self in in, in chapter 3, flip back to Galatians and let us consider verses 5 to 9 of chapter 3. Therefore, because you are a new creation in Christ, this is those, those sinners that are saved. Therefore, because you are saved, because you are transformed, because you have your heart has been circumcised by the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Dead to what? Hmm. This ought to step all over our toes, by the way. And if you're thinking this would be a great message for somebody else, you're missing the point. I gathered with 4,000 pastors, over 5,000 pastors this week. And shocked 
at how many care about the popularity by which they can gain. Even so that in the midst of the greatest preachers of our day, they're, they're tweeting, texting. They're more concerned about a popular post than they are the sanctification of their hearts in many ways. This is a message for each one of us, not for somebody else. This is a message for Stuart Guthrie. <laughs> Likewise for you. Therefore, consider your earthly body is dead to sexual immorality. Impurity. Passion. Evil desires and greed, which are idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We need to be reminded that this is what we look like in our old self the immorality of our lives, the impurity within our lives, our evil passions, our greed, acting like sons of disobedience, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Listen, what we say matters. Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 29 tells us, let no unwholesome speech come from our mouths. Psalm 141.3 The psalmist begs God, set a guard around my mouth. Psalm 19.14 let the, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be honoring to You, O Lord. James 1.19 reminds me to be slow to speak. Now flip over to Matthew 12 because I think this is vital for our day. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. The heart is revealed by the words we speak, my friends. Because that which is in you, listen, will come out. Let that man or that woman cut you off in traffic. It's going to show up. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. It matters what we say in a day in which we have been given platforms to say to the world. Look at our earlier pagan days when we were dead morally, spiritually, and unable to choose the things of God. I can remember those days clearly. I was totally depraved. In my speech, I, I remember a, a gentleman, and I'm getting in my personal business here, but you'll know a little bit about my past. It was bad, okay? So just know that. I, I had a gentleman invite me to play golf with his boss and a friend. And after the round of golf, he approached me and said, I'll never invite you to any golf event again. Your mouth was so nasty. I didn't even know it. It just came out. Why? Because that which is in you will come out. If there is wickedness in your heart, if there is sin in your heart, if you have an uncircumcised heart, listen, it, it can only produce that which is evil. And even when that which comes out is good, it's probably for evil intention. We are totally depraved before we are made alive. Totally depraved means you are dead. You produce that which is in dishonor to God. You, like me, in that place, unable to save ourselves. But, again, this is past tense. This is a message to the, the sinners who are saved and the, a message to the sinners who are unsaved. But you were. 
So, so here's the, here, here's the application personally. Let us not act like what we used to be. But let us act like who we are in Christ. And it is a work in process. I understand that. But we need to be reminded, I think, and I think Paul wants us to get the reality that we should recall who we were. Paul is reminding these Christians in the Colossian church and even us today, know where you came from. And remember what you were so that when you start acting like what you used to be, it ought to scare you. It ought to convict your heart. And it ought to really scare you if you can just pour out what you used to be and never, never convict your heart of what you are now. Because you may not be what you think you are. Really, we see this teaching from the Old Testament all the way into the New. Deuteronomy 24.18 says, But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there, and therefore I am commanding you to do these things. We need to be reminded of where we came from. Matthew 16.9, do, do you not understand or remember the five loaves and the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up, guys? Remember what I did. Luke 17.32-33, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Think back, Why? So that we don't make the same mistakes. Paul in the midst of these false teachers wants his people to remember what they were. Who they were and what God has done. That He is sufficient. That He is sufficient. That He is able. He is enough. And that they don't have to buy into these laws that were given to them about food. I think it can help us keep from making the same mistakes twice. It can be a test to see if we are really of the faith. Why do you think when we come to the Lord's table, we call people to test their faith? Why? Because the devil is working. If, if, if you can sit around and live in a life of sin and, and look like your old self and have no changed life and think, well, I'm a Christian. Listen, you're kidding yourself, pal. We must understand what we were prior to Christ. can help us understand just how much God has done in our lives as well. Because when I look back, I go, boy... How did God do what He did in my life? I, I'm, not, I'm not yet arrived yet, that's for sure. I was in the airport in Savannah going to the left side, the left coast. And this fellow approached me and said, now you got to understand, I'm, I'm going to let you in on my unsanctification I was sitting off in the corner by myself, and a man comes over and he bends down and he gets him and says, You need to put on your mask, sir. <clears throat> and I, remi I've, I was reminded even a fool is wise when he shuts his mouth. I, I didn't say nothing. I just put my head back down and started reading my book. But I can tell you what, everything, in wanted, everything inside of me <laughs> wanted to get up and knock his mask off his face. In my business, in, in, in my space, right? But that, that's not what we're called to do. I just asked him nicely to, to, to depart himself from my arena. Nicely. And then I got up and after I told him the mask didn't work, he didn't read the box. And then I got up and went over and sat by a group of about 40 others who didn't have masks on. So sometimes it's just best to move. But nevertheless, the old steward, 
would have gave him all of my business prior to Christ. And that's just a simple thing. What if somebody starts messing with my kids? My wife? Somebody talking about my mama? Right? Listen, there are plenty of opportunities to let that which we used to be expose itself. But that, that has been crucified with Christ. We need to understand what we were so that when we are tempted to act like what we were, we behave like what we are. Secondly, we need to understand that, what we are. Colossians 2.13, He made us alive together with Him. He made you alive together with Him. You want to know about the sufficiency of Christ? Notice there is no personal pronoun, I did something here. No, it's He, God, Christ, made you alive together with Him. Listen, you must grasp and understand the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in regards to your salvation and in regards to your sanctification. Positionally, you are righteous before God because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But progressively, we are being made more each day into the image of Christ. We, we need to understand what we are, my friends. He made you alive together with Him. And so while you and I were dead to sin, He made us alive. Not in the covenant that the Jews were in, by some act of circumcision, but He, Christ, made us alive together with Him. And so what are you? We really can fall into two categories. You either are for Him or you're against Him. You are either alive or you are dead. Your understanding of Christ and His sufficiency, my friend, determines whether you are in or you are out. You know, Steve Lawson preached a phenomenal message about being unashamed of the gospel. And how many pastors throughout the world, they don't get in the pulpit and preach the gospel. May I never be accused of that. Because it is the gospel for which saves, my friend. And it is the gospel for which transforms lives. It is the gospel that transforms your marriage. It is the gospel that transforms your children. It is the gospel that changes your heart. It is the gospel that changes your views. It is the gospel that changes nations. It's the gospel that changes the world. It is the gospel. And when you preach it, many will hate you. Many will sneer at you. But nevertheless, it's a necessity because of who we are. So what are you? Are you alive or are you dead? Are you circumcised in your heart or are you uncircumcised in your heart? Are you transformed from your past to your present and you are dead and made alive together with Christ? I don't know that answer for you. But I can promise you that unless you have placed your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will miss the boat. <laughs> See, your understanding of Christ and His sufficiency is absolutely necessity to be born again. Because you cannot believe in Christ alone for your salvation if you don't think He is sufficient. This is why it's important not only we understand what we were, but who we are. We need to know that we are alive today in Christ. 
And I believe that you can be 100% sure of your salvation. I believe the Scriptures are very clear and they give us the assurance of salvation. Can you know that you are certain of your salvation? If I were to ask you on a scale from 0 to 100, 0 being absolutely unsure, 100% being absolutely certain, if you were to die today or Christ were to come back, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? If you can't say emphatically 100%, you don't understand the sufficiency of Christ. Because when you understand that, that Christ has done all to tell us that He's paid it in full, You lack one thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. Not might be my my 80% certain of your salvation. No, no, no. I am 100%. Why? Because Christ is sufficient. You need to know that you are alive. So the question to be is how are those that are alive in Christ able to be so? The text gives a simple but complex answer. He, God, through His Son Jesus Christ, made you alive together with Him, Christ. Paul says, look, don't be taken away by the false teachers, my friends, who distract you from the person of Christ and from the assurance of your salvation. Don't be taken away by the philosophy of our days of of vain deceit and the the Marxist heresy that's entered in even the churches. Don't be distracted by human traditions. Just because they're traditions doesn't make them true. Don't fall into some angelic hierarchy as some bridge between you and God as, as, as we've seen some in our day in a public manner pray to the seven rays of light. Huh. He ain't praying to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, understand, church, that Christ is the one who makes you alive. Alone. But now, you have been brought to life again through Jesus Christ, who, whom Himself was once dead and raised back to life and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Listen, it's very important that we get this. You that are believers, you that are Christians, you that are followers of Christ, you have been raised with Christ and you have been given new life with Christ. God has broken you clean away from your past. You are a new creation in Christ. The the old things, the old nature has passed away and behold, the new has come. You are something special. You are a brand new creature in Christ, my friend so that we can truly say we are free. Because if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. It's easy to talk. It's easy to let everybody know how godly we are. It's easy to post Scriptures in our day. Even the heretics post the Scriptures. But it's another to be confirmed in your salvation because of your belief in the gospel and the necessity of the sufficiency of Christ. We are alive together in Christ. And so we can read the latter part of verse 13 that says, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, not a few of them, but all of them, He has given you a clean slate. You may have come in with a dirty chalkboard, but when Christ comes up to take residence in your life and saves you and redeems you and forgives you, He takes that old eraser and He goes up on that chalkboard and He gives you a clean slate. We know this means that God has forgiven all of our sins. That is why it's so important to understand what we are. 
Are you alive together with Christ today? Then you ought to be encouraged. And if you are alive together with Christ today and there are things in your life that you know that dishonor God, then my encouragement for you is to get on your knees and ask God for, your, for, for His forgiveness. Because here's the real deal. There is none righteous, no, not one. Christ is the only righteous. But that does not give us the right to live like our old lives. Paul sets up a great powerful statement as he says, see what you were, unable to save your own soul, needful of someone to bring you out of death into life. And Christ is the only perfect, complete deity that has and is able to make you alive together with Him or has the ability to. Again, a message for the sinner who is saved and the sinner who is unsaved. He has the power to save you. And for those that have been saved, He had the power to save you. The sins of mankind were paid on the cross at Calvary. Nothing you've done, nothing you could have achieved, no one could have worshipped in any fashion. We live in a day when people want to walk through the door and just have their own kind of worship. God is very particular about worship. And 4,000 preachers gather Dr. John MacArthur closes the entirety of the conference on worship. On worship. Why? Because those who are in Christ are called to worship. And those who are in not in Christ, they have not the right to worship. You must be born again. Sins of mankind were paid. It's only the greatest love we've ever seen. That God would send His Son. Ephesians 5, 1-2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Jesus Christ gave up Himself for us, offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It pleased God to give up His Son. Why? Because without the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you and I would all be in the same boat, dead, and unable to be redeemed. Because the Bible says you have sinned. You have hamartia. You have missed the mark. Not Christ. He hit the bullseye. And as the only perfect sinless one, He is the only one who is able to die in your place, to take upon Him your sin. to impute to you His righteousness, to credit to your account His perfection. God demonstrates His own love toward us, and while yet we were sinners, Christ died for us. No, we need to understand who we are. Because Christ has forgiven all of our sin. Past, present, in future. This doesn't mean we can live our lives in constant sin. That's not the mark of someone that has a true changed life. Brought back from the dead. Regenerated. Made alive. The marks of those who are in Christ, those that have put their, put their old self off by trusting in Jesus Christ and, 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 and placing on Christ, giving us the new life. There is change, my friends. I, I, many times I've, you know, see people I went to school with and haven't seen them in 20 something years, and they ask me, What do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a preacher. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, God's good. God's good. Listen, if you ain't new, you ain't true. I know that's not proper English, but in the South, I think it's okay. Listen, if you ain't changed, you ain't transformed. So this idea that you can walk around in habitual sin, live in habitual sin. Now, I understand it's a process of sanctification. I get that. But there's a difference 
in, in struggling with whether something is biblical or not than absolutely living in sin and then claiming Christ. Because the Bible says, He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. It means it's a process. But make no mistake, He will change you. And your desires will change. And your passions will change. And your everything will change. It will cost you everything. Colossians 3 12 and 13. So, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a a heart of compassion. Are you compassionate? Kindness. Are you kind? Stuart, were you kind to that gentleman? How about humility? Think not highly of yourselves, and you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The contrast from humility is pride. Are you prideful? If you are never wrong, you are prideful. Someone has recently reminded me that the greatest answer that you can give to someone when you don't know the answer is to say, I don't know. Because if you answer in a way in which you know you don't know, that's pride. Hmm. Patience. Gentleness. Bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Those are the marks of one made alive in Christ. Again, I don't know you that well. You don't know me that well. But God knows you just perfectly. And He knows if these are your marks. Now, these marks don't save you. They don't even help save you. They are evidence of a new life. Remember, He is calling people to understand the sufficiency we must hold to is that of Christ. But the marks that you have placed your faith in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He has come to take up residence in you, that He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit, is that you are producing the fruit of the Spirit. If there is no fruit on the tree, you are dead. And Jesus is the only fertilizer that will give you life. It might be one apple on the tree in the beginning. But as He sanctifies you, there will be more fruit that bears. These are the marks of those who have been made alive. Why is this so important that we understand who we are? What we are? Because we need to know if we are alive in Christ. Just as Paul had false teachers in his time with vain philosophies and other heresies, so we have them today. They are alive and kicking. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy, starting in verse 3. For a time will come. It is upon us, my friends. When they will not endure sound doctrine 
but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I'm here to tell you this morning, Christ is sufficient. His work is complete. He has triumphed over the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father and He will come back. The same way He went up is the same way He will come back. Sufficient to save and He is sufficient to sanctify. And so if you're not very sanctified but you're saved, then ask God to sanctify you more each day. So that you can, as you continue through this life, yes, you are saved positionally, but progressively you are being sanctified. And one day your sanctification will be perfected when you see Christ face to face. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But know this, Christ is certainly sufficient. The only way you can be alive in Christ is to be cleared of the debt that you owe God. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. None escape the necessity of Jesus Christ in His sufficiency. Isaiah understood it this way when he said in Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and His your sins has hidden His face from you so that He does not even hear. Don't tell me that I can or you can live however we wish and worship God. We must test our faith to see if that which is in us is really there. That's what the old man reveals. Your sins, my sins, when unrepentant, cause problems. We need to repent. Turn to God. I had a young man one day in my office that thought he could live in habitual sin and be happy and worship God. And then when he died, he was going to be happy in a happy place. I want you to understand that's not a philosophy that saves. There's a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs 14.12 says, but in the end leads to death. Christ paid for our sins. John 1.12, but as many as received Him to them, He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. To listen to all those who believe, none will be disappointed. Either Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Here Paul expresses throughout this entire book, Christ is the way. He is sufficient. He is, He will be, and will always be. He is the only sufficient Savior. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved apart from Jesus Christ. I don't know who is in here today that is listening, has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, but I believe I should preach as if everyone is dying and going to hell. To the Jews, He disobeyed in the manner in which they were given. And that was the law. And to the Gentile, they disobeyed in the manner in which they were given. And that was in their conscience. Both need grace. Both are without excuse. He has made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt. <laughs> you can't pay this debt back. Kind of like student loans. You can't get rid of them. But multiplied by eternity. You can't pay the debt that you owe Christ. But He can pay your debt. 
canceling out the certificate. Paid in full. With all the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. Christ has given life and forgiveness and it is as complete as it can be. He is absolutely sufficient. Nothing else is needed to be made alive. Listen, those who are struggling with sin in your past, listen, 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is for the believer. It's a promise to those who are alive in Christ. We need to understand what we were. We need to understand what we are. And lastly, we need to understand what He did. And if it hasn't been clear enough up to this point, I'm sorry. But maybe we can give it one more shot. And by God's grace, He will invade you with eyes to see. He will engage you with ears to hear that Christ is able. That Christ is able. So great a promise that I don't want you to miss it. The latter part of verse 14 says, And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Without Christ, we are dead. Without the cross, we are dead. Without His death and payment for our sin, my sin, your sin, all of the world's sins, we are dead. And unless He raised from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father, you and I are hopeless. What did He do? He did that. He did the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you might have hope. That He might justify you. He might declare you right by His death, taking your sin and applying it to Himself. He was your substitutionary atonement. And because He was perfect, He can give to you His righteousness. He will remove it from our midst. The sin that many weigh us down, that allows us each Sunday to feel convicted. He's nailed it to the cross so that you might be set free. Now you lack one thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Be saved. Yes, sir, I'm almost done. This is what Christ came to do. John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 John 3.5, you know that He appeared in order to take away the sins of the world. And in Him there is no sin. You must be perfect as God in order to get to heaven, my friend. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You must have Christ as your Lord and as your Savior in order to be saved. He takes it all away and nails it to the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and be saved. You see, you can't be saved if you fail to understand your lostness. If you understand your sin, your offense against a holy and just God, your separation between God and yourself, then you can certainly understand your need for a Redeemer. But if you heard the message today of Christ and you have an understanding of His ability that He is all-sufficient for salvation and for sanctification for those who have already believed, you understand His wonderful work at the cross of Calvary, then what prevents you from being saved today? He may come back today, my friend. Wait not one more moment to put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Gospel. And He will save you, He will redeem you, and He will use you to be salt and light into the world.
But you must believe. Place your faith today. And understand what He did. That you might be justified in Christ. Declared not guilty before a holy and perfect God who is absolutely right and just. Believe. Today is the day of salvation. Be saved. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.